Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Australia has been good to Jews. However, in 2023, we are not immune from the the toxin of anti-Semitism. Um, so let's talk pre, you know, the 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 recent events of the past week. Okay, so uh, is does Australia have an anti-Semitism problem? Whether or not it's a problem or not, does anti-Semitism exist in Australia? Of course, it does. Okay, Jews are targeted disproportionately as a minority compared to other minorities in Australia. In recent years, a recent survey came out about tertiary students. Okay, the survey is maybe three months old. Okay, and in that, a large portion of Jewish students are hiding the fact that they're Jewish on campus. Welcome back for a different sort of Humans of Purpose episode this week. First off, a big thanks to our season sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. Before we kick off, a content warning that today's episode is marked explicit as it deals with some troubling themes around the current conflict in Israel and the Palestinian territories, as well as some fairly graphic descriptions of some of the vile crimes perpetrated against families inside Israel by Hamas militants. This one is not suitable for kids. I thought long and hard about whether to air this episode on Humans of Purpose and concluded that given the enormous amount of hatred, confusion and misinformation out there that has impacted on me personally, my family and friends and my community here and abroad, that it's important that we hear from some experts and get some Australian perspectives from both sides of the conflict. So this week, we'll hear from Joel Burney, who is Executive Director at AJAC, which stands for the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Committee. AJAC represents the interests of the Australian Jewish community to government, politicians, media and other community groups and organisations through research, commentary and analysis. Joel and I have been good mates for over 20 years and during this time he has worked almost exclusively for and within the Jewish community. He's married to an Israeli and has an Israeli family. He spent more time in Israel and the Palestinian territories than anyone I know, and his networks that reach the top of the journalistic, diplomatic and intelligence folks in Israel and abroad make his views relevant and valuable for this conversation. Overall, I'm a fan of his direct communication style and ability to effectively analyse and discuss a highly complex conflict. It's important to note that we recorded this episode on Sunday the 15th of October, just over a week ago. I'm also speaking with the CEO of APAN, the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network, to try and source an expert or someone from that organisation to speak about the conflict and share a different perspective next week on the podcast. So far, I've not had a positive response about an appearance, but let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that we can get someone to share an informed alternate perspective. Now, as you might expect, this was a challenging episode to record. At times, Joel gets quite worked up and emotional and also talks in graphic detail about some of the war crimes perpetrated in Israel deliberately and indiscriminately against innocent civilians and their families. His passion here is understandable and entirely reasonable and is reflective of the outrage, anger and sadness that many Jewish, Israeli and supporters of the Jewish and Israeli people feel. 
Joel and his colleagues at AJAC have been very vocal in the media about the conflict, and his writing and interviews to date have been published in The Sky News, The Age and The Sydney Morning Herald, The Australian and more. It's important to note that nor Joel or AJAC represent the views of all Jews or Israelis in Australia. As the adage goes, two Jews, three opinions. I've decided in accordance with how we process all Humans of Purpose episodes to leave it entirely unedited for content. Part of the reason for this is that Joel's not revealing any new information that isn't already publicly available online. He's merely reflecting and commenting on it. The atrocities he's discussing are proven and documented and not in dispute. Further, we trust you as a mature listener with the appropriate warnings to exercise your own judgment and discretion as to how to interpret or process how we discuss our take on these disturbing facts. I'll adopt the exact same policy for our APAN guests next week if they decide to join us for a conversation, which I very much hope they do. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Joel as much as I did. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to be here with who most people would know as DJ 10pm from our community, but actually does something else by day also. Joel Bernie, thank you for having me to your home. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here. Well, you were here already, but I'm glad that you invited (laughs) me. So, (laughs) do me the courtesy of lifting your mic up slightly and we will... We're sitting on your very comfortable sort of lazy boy things. What would you call this? Is that better? Is that Is that better? Very good. Yeah, am I getting good reading on that little device that you have there? This is a. Uh, I don't uh, appreciate the little device demeaning to. It's, it's a right. Zoom the, H6. The, the microphone weighs like a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a dumbbell, right? I could be doing this my is, this bicep is what curls while feels like yeah. Bernie. <laughs> well, welcome to. Sorry, it's not Sky News, but welcome. That's right. It is what it is, <laughs> mate. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, you and I have been fairly good mates for a considerable period of time. We'll get into that a little bit later. Talk to us a little bit about your career and journey and how you ended up joining AJAC and what AJAC is. So, I guess you could chart it back to um, sort of high school. I had a, um, I guess it was a a recognition of a desire for civic duty and civic service. The the idea that there was stuff within our community that needed to be done and it required leadership, it required trooper mentality, it required hands-on, it required people that were willing to give up their time to give to something greater, to give back to the community that had given so much to them. So, I guess the recognition of that in high school then transferred into student advocacy uh, during undergrad with the uh, with Orgers, with the Australasian Union of Jewish Students. Um, and then through that, uh, reaching the heights of national president in 2007, um, it was a good foothold into um, sort of national Jewish communal um, uh, advocacy and policy development, things that were important to not only the local Jewish community and its interests, anti-Semitism, Jewish schools, the, 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 the health, stability and functioning of the Australian Jewish community, uh, but also of the importance of maintaining and strengthening the bilateral relationship with Israel. So um the pathway was was quite clear and 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 never took a break. I uh I I've worked professionally, I've been in lay leadership, elected lay leadership positions, uh, but since I really exited school, 
um, I've had something hands-on to do, uh, a job to be done or uh, to give back to the community. I, in fact, only remember you having a brief hiatus from work in the Jewish community when you were at the uh, Telco Ombudsman. That's right. I did. Uh, I had a, had a short hiatus after I uh, graduated from from the uh, from my Juris Doctorate, and uh, I went to work for for the TIO for three years, which was interesting in dispute resolution. Uh, but then, uh, and then I came back. It's interesting because <laughs> I, I thought I was pretty good at dispute resolution, uh, but a lot of my current job is is using the same tools and the same skills that you'd apply in conciliation into uh, into what I currently do now. It's fascinating. It's, it's some good overlap there. Your love of technology and your love of trying to resolve intractable disputes. Exactly. It was great. It was fantastic. <laughs> and this, look, obviously, for confidentiality reasons, I would never go into details, but some of the... Uh, some of those scenarios were were were, uh, were rather entertaining upon uh, retrospectively reviewing them, but it was fun. It was a good gig, but uh, I'm happy I made my way back, and um, and I've never looked back. So you came back to the Jewish community, which is a common thread throughout your career and and, and personal life. Well, what is it for you about working for the Jewish community that matters so much? Because it's also worth noting that you're married to an Israeli, you have an Israeli family. Um, she's always worked in the Jewish community and the Israeli community, and very impressive in her own right. Uh, shout out to her, um, your lovely wife. Um, nice, so, what is it that keeps pulling you back in? Um, it's a good question. It, so, you don't go into high school, you don't graduate high school, you don't work hard, do your VCE, TE, which I did in WA or your HSC in New South Wales and say, oh, I want to be a Jewish professional, right? Because um, there's not really actually many jobs like that in Australia. You know, there's not a huge amount of jobs, and and some of them, or a lot of them, aren't over. You know, not glamorous. To the glamorous, same. specialized, what have you. Look, they're very important roles, and I would never diminish it because you know the servants that give the professional servants that give to the Jewish community are, are heroes. Um, for many, many respects, they give up their time, their energy. They um, will always dedicate more time outside of their working hours for the community, and and they're an amazing group of people. But it, it, look, you don't you don't say to yourself, "I want to be the head of this organization." It's not, not something that people um you you'd lead to at the end of high school. But I sort of found my way to it. Uh, to be frank, um, a lot of it has to do with Ajax as an organization. I'm sure we'll get to that, but um. I, I knew that I wanted to do something. I was always interested in politics, always as a kid. From primary school, I have a clear memory of being very, very interested in politics. I was born in Canberra, and some of my earliest memories, and I, I left Canberra when I was eight, but one of some of my earliest memories was the the Hawke-Keating leadership spills, because um, there was two of them in, in, in short succession. And I remember clearly one being uh, unsuccessful and Keating lost, and Hawke remained prime minister, and then... Uh, eventually, uh, there was another spill, and, and Keating took over. And um, I think it would have been maybe five or six when that happened. So um, I was always interested in politics. Then when I got to Wardrus and I moved out of Perth, um, Perth into my house. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, into our house and uh, our house. Well, our good, house. Good clarification. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which I moved into first, but anyway, just <laughs> my surname wasn't on the ownership papers. <laughs> you certainly made your mark earlier there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. It, look, whatever. Uh, hopefully, can be, I don't want to say things that should or should not be Let's edited out. Uh, we should move on. Anyway, the point was is that. Um, the Perth community, as great as it is, um, is not the same size as the Melbourne or Sydney community. So, I was unaware from Perth that 
um, Ajax existed. I didn't know until I um, until I was in Orgers, um, but then also how big it was and how important it was until I actually moved to Melbourne. So maybe let's start with what does Ajax stand for? What is it? And why did the Jewish people uh, need an advocacy organisation in Australia? So Ajax stands for the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Council. Um, and essentially it was a, a merger of a few different organisations, uh, advocacy and, and, and think tank uh, style of organisations. So Ajax pillars are... Um, uh, high-level analysis through our think tank division, um, the flagship of which is our monthly Australia-Israel review, which has been um, published every month uh, for, for many, many decades um, and is a great source of um, very well-sourced articles and information about what's going on in the Middle East. Um, there's a considerable amount of original content that's written by AJAC staffers and AJAC writers, which is very important and adds to the more intellectual side of the, this foreign policy argument. Um, AJAC also has an advocacy uh, division. We have a very large, now we have a very large digital team um, creating a lot of content, making sure that messages are getting out there to uh, the social media platforms. So we're making sure that we remain relevant in a developing communication environment. Um, and then we have our, um, what I do, and that is uh, primarily uh, forming relationships and building relationships and, 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 and building relationships with, with people outside of the Jewish community. Okay. So, it sort of sounds like an interesting mix of content, digital uh, engagement, and then would you call it lobbying or- I don't like I don't like the term lobbying and for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um it implies two two things. Firstly, there's a a negative connotation to it, some type of nefarious action by a special interest. And and the second thing is it it sort of implies that I have something to sell. Uh, I'm not selling something. I'm not I'm not selling you know, anti-Semitism or the, the need for protection of Jewish people or uh, advocating for the issues that are important for the Jewish community, nor am I selling, you know, Israel or what Israel has to offer in, in multiple different spheres. So, I, I don't like, I like, the, I like the fact that I am a conduit uh, for certain sections of Australian society um, that would not be connected to our community if it was not for the relationships that I was able to build. So, if that's in the political sphere, sure. If that's in the media sphere, okay. If that's in the public sphere, wherever it may be, if there is a need for a group of Australians or in Australian institutions or individuals in Australia, important people that have the ability to impact our community or strengthen that bilateral relationship between Australia and Israel, then it's a relationship that I'll seek. Okay, so it's relationship building, but just coming back to the question of why AJAC needs to exist, I mean, why do the Jewish people who are fairly, um, you know, big and strong in Australia need an advocacy organisation? Well, I I think that most um, close-knit ethnic communities in Australia will have similar councils. Uh, so, again, this is why I don't like the term lobby. Again, it's been used by uh, our enemies um, and weaponized to, to sort of infer like a lobby group is, is bad or that the Jewish lobby is somehow, you know, some type of evil institution. Every special interest has a lobby group. Yeah. And let's be clear, I'm not trying to set any trap here. I, I suppose what I was trying to say is 
just as every corporate, Correct. Um, every um, every industry, every sub industry, yeah. everyone, every sub industry, every community as a community council or, or yeah. every everyone has representation. So maybe it's better we call it advocacy, advocacy or representation. Yeah. I'm 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 a, I'm a professional representative of the Jewish community, the interests of the Jewish community, absolutely. Yeah. And so, what what are some of those interests? I mean, what what does the Jewish community care about and need? And maybe we can talk sort of pre conflict and as sort of general thing that you would often advocate for? I mean, maybe as a starting point, anti-Semitism in Australia and globally? Anti-Semitism is, is, is a toxin. It's a toxin that that quietly seeps into society. It festers, it grows, and it permeates, and it, and it, and it, and it, 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 we haven't been able to figure out a way of eradicating it. So whilst Australian Jews, and there's roughly 100,000, 110,000 per the census. That's interesting because you ask about anti-Semitism and then I said something about the census. Now, <clears throat> conventional wisdom suggests that the numbers on the census are lower than than usual because a number of people, a number of Jewish people will not put that they're Jewish on there because of the fear of what, of, of the administrative documentation yeah. of, of Nazi Germany. They might also uh, just be, like, not religious Jews or might feel that they're ethnically but not religiously Jewish. Right, but you can coexist as that. You can sure. ethnically be a Jew which is not religious and then they can coexist. So, the, the fact is, is that the idea that's still after the Holocaust, right? Yep. So, we're still 78 years post-Holocaust, uh, Jewish people still fearful. Yeah. Okay. Well, numbers so that, and recording and on paper have never been great for the Jews. Correct. So any paper trail towards <laughs> has, hasn't really been great. Thank you, IBM, but, for that it, early but, shock. Right, but it illustrates a point in such a simple question, yep. right? So the trauma of the Holocaust still lingers in in three generations to the fourth generation afterwards, and Australia being one of the highest post Holocaust communities. Correct. In the world. Not only that, so that that's a good thing that Australia took in more uh, Holocaust yep. refugees, but also that has, Australia has been good to Jewish people on the whole. Um, you know, Australian Australian Jews have been able to integrate successfully into Australian multicultural society. Mm. Um, have become, you know, uh, and early on have become, um, you know, senior members of of of. You know, public institutions from uh, you know Sir Isaac Isaacs in 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 the twenties as a as a High Court justice and then Governor General to uh, you know to Cecil McCow and John Monash. So uh, you know, Australian Jews have have been able to to integrate successfully in Australian society, and Australia has been good to Jews. However, in twenty twenty three, we are not immune. From the the toxin of anti-Semitism, just in the last forty-eight hours, for I know. Look, you want to go pre and post. That's no, uh, okay. Pre and post. We, we, we can look, talk now. Um, so let's talk pre. You know the 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 recent events of the past week. Okay, so uh, is does Australia have an anti-Semitism problem? Whether or not it's a problem or not, does anti-Semitism exist in Australia? Of course, it does. Okay, Jews are targeted disproportionately as a minority compared to other minorities in Australia. It's a simple fact, right? So, in recent years, a recent survey came out about tertiary students. Okay, the survey is maybe three months old. Okay, and in that, a large portion of Jewish students are hiding the fact that they're Jewish on campus. That's effed. That shouldn't be like that. No. That is not something that we should accept in, in Australia in 2023. And the reason why they're not sa- they don't feel safe is because of a huge amount of intimidation against Jews in public mm. spaces, specifically on campuses. 
we've just also seen these horrific stories of kids at certain secondary schools and the, the bullying absolutely. They so we, absolutely. So we had the Brighton uh, Brighton Secondary College in, um, uh, court case where it took these courageous students who 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 were just bullied for being Jew for being Jewish and then essentially the teachers and the administration turning a blind eye. If anyone wants to understand what. Jewish kids go through in non-Jewish secondary schools. Read the judgment in the Brighton Secondary College, and 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 the system failed them. The school failed them. The administration failed them. The Department of Education failed them. And it took these courageous boys to sue to get a result mm. in 2023. We also had an incident with with kids that go to that, that attend my school, maybe two or three on the bus mm. on Glen Huntley Road with uh, someone armed with a knife yelling anti-semitic stuff on a bus and the kids high school kids had to run away, run off from the bus. Mm. Right? Anti-semitism is real, ladies and gentlemen, inside Australia in 2023 it's only getting worse. And this the all those incidents I was telling you about they're before this recent conflict. And, and whenever something's inflamed that has to do with Israel or Jews globally, it gets worse and worse. That's right. But that's a good segue to, to where we're going now, right? Mm. To all of your listeners, here is a question for you. How are you and me, our wives, our children, less safe now, statistically, probability less safe now than what we were before our family and friends were massacred over the weekend. Yeah. So so a terror organization kills 1300 people including babies, women, the elderly, men, pets, holocaust you survivors. name it, holocaust survivors, you name it. Burnt them alive did the most heinous of crimes, war crimes, things that, things that even worse than what ISIS did. It's some of the worst stuff I've actually ever heard of in anything. And ever. after all of that happening so far away, how can we fathom as Australians that the Australian Jewish community is now less safe after their friends and family have just been butchered? Yeah. I don't understand it. I do not understand how anyone can justify the celebrations 24, 48 hours afterwards on the streets of Sydney. A, a, a imam in Sydney celebrating with his fists in the air how excited he was. I'm excited, he said, all on camera. Fireworks going off. What are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? The rape of women? You're celebrating the fact that they would kill babies in front of their their mothers? That they cut open a pregnant woman and stabbed the fetus and left the knife there for the whole world? What are you celebrating? From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, I hear echoing out of the streets of Australia. Now in the time when the Jewish people have lost the highest number of fatalities since the end of the Holocaust, mm. we need our friends and our neighbours in Australia to say, you Jew are not entitled to self-determination. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now, they're the chants that you'll hear in every city. I'm not even giving you the chants that were in Sydney. F the Jew, F the Jew, F the Jew. Mm. Gas the Jew, gas the Jew. How is that tolerated? 
Now, before you ask the next question, I just want to add this point. The Sydney episode was terrible. Seeing that happen and hearing that in Sydney, less than 48 hours after the incident in southern Israel, is barbaric. Hmm. Watching New South Wales police not only watch that happen, but not make any arrests, Hmm. and then arrest one person on that night, which happened to be a Jewish person with one Israeli flag, that's disgusting. Yep. Okay, the second thing that I'll say to you is that Melbourne, two nights ago, 1.30 in the morning, a group of masked, balaclava-cladded, uh, right-wing neo-Nazis unfurl an anti-Semitic uh, uh, banner outside of Flinders Street Station, hmm. get asked to move on by Vic police, and then whilst they're getting moved on, walk down the escalator to get it on a train giving Hal Hitler salutes. Yeah. Jump on the train and then asking passengers if they're Jewish or not. Mm. This is Melbourne in 2023, a week after 1,300 people were just massacred in a war crime. Again, what is it about the fascination of having the, the idea that Jews are less of? Jews are less innocent than every other victim. Jews can continue to be persecuted and persecuted even worse, even when you massacre us. It makes no sense. And I'll warn the the, the audience as well. Israel has a right to defend herself and Israel will defend us. It has a right and a responsibility to protect her citizens. And the idea now that it has to factor in this type of gross double standard expectation on it makes things so much harder for everybody. And uh, I think that's really well said. And I just want to sort of like uh, maybe compliment that with the experience that you and I have faced as Jewish people who have um, spent time in Israel, obviously have family and friends in Israel, have experienced many great times in Israel. Um, just the just the difficulty, I, I was at... Um, a friend from my son's daycare um, over the Shabbat, just sort of sitting with him and his family, not using my phone. And when we left his house afterwards, checking my phone to what had been happening in our WhatsApp group, to what's happening over there abroad and the escalation of that over the next few days and the overwhelm of all the information and disgusting things that were happening over there. And then the response here uh, has really sent ripples of fear PTSD and trauma through our community to the point where a lot of our friends have been concerned about sending their kids to their Jewish daycares, uh, including myself and a couple of friends who go to the same daycare. There's had to be double security at every Jewish centre. Ah, stop there. You said you said the operative word. What did you say? Doubled. Doubled. So before this incident, before this incident, mm. your kid had how had had one security guard armed, right? Yeah. Right? To get into your creche, yeah. a creche, ladies two, and gentlemen. Two uh, security uh, digital pin doors. Yes. Uh, huge gates. Yes. And an armed, armed guard. guard yeah. Armed security guard at yeah. all times. So, that's normal for us. Yeah. That's normal for us. Okay? Our kids, our babies, have to be protected by high walls, blast doors, security to the hilt, and an armed guard. Mm. Our schools 
before this happened, yeah. had to be protected. Do you think it's there for show? Mm. It's there because the threat level needs it. Yeah. It requires it. When is the Australian public going to understand that the, that the threat level for Jews is higher than everywhere else, everyone else? And that's disgusting. Mm. And that has to stop. We have to identify the sections of our Australian society where this danger is coming yeah. from. It's. It's. A, I think it's obscene that having to go through the trauma of what's happening over there, the local response is that we have to experience a double trauma Correct. of fear. Um, you know, there's this enormous rally in the city today, which I'm sure horrible things will be said about Jewish people. But it, it just, yeah, I mean, and it's hard, I don't know about how you're handling it, but to escape the constant news cycle of hearing the tragic things that are happening over there, dealing with it, integrating it, and then the local um, sort of double threat that happens because of how people respond here to inflame the situation has been really challenging. Look, it's, 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 it, <laughs> it certainly hasn't been easy. Mm. Um, I gave a talk last night and uh, about 100 people and- uh, I just said one of the things that I said, you know, we've all had a really rough week. There's no one, no one, no Jew in Australia hasn't been touched by what's going on there, whether or not they know someone who's been murdered, they know someone who's been taken hostage, or they have a, you know, a friend or a family friend that's been caught up into the reserves. Everyone's been directly impacted from it. But one of the things that I said to people is <laughs> how difficult it's been to function and, and, and eat. Um, and and just everyone is just a zombie. Everyone's everyone's a shell of themselves. Um because the images are just so horrific. And unfortunately my job requires me to see all of it. And just there are things that I, I can't unsee. Yeah. There's things we can't unsee, there's things we can't unhear, and I do think that in some ways, um, and I don't know if you have a view on this, but the the takeover of X or Twitter by Musk and the way it's opened up everything has just made uh, this almost be the first time in history we can see such live images of some of the things we never want to see, um, but may be important to also know about. Look, I know that there's a lot of chatter about Elon's takeover of Twitter and X and whether or not anti-Semitism increased, decreased. Look, <laughs> there's a lot to be said about that and, and I'm not I don't I'm not gonna have a bob each way on it. Um I don't because of there's so much on it and I haven't really dived deeply into it. But what I can say is that they use these networks, okay? The the definition of a terrorist is someone to instill terror in its victim. Yeah. Okay. And the utility of these networks, it's not just Twitter. Look, tic- TikTok's worse. Like, TikTok has been taking down pro-Israel advocates uh, left, right, and center who are not showing any violence or gratuity. Or, it's just, they're just not showing anything bad. They're just speaking. And they'll get taken off whilst the most heinous, bloody, gruesome, disgusting images are being broadcast on on TikTok constantly. So, it's not just as though that Twitter has something to answer for. All of them have something to answer for. 
uh, in the speed that they get stuff down, in posts that are directly inciting a violence. Um, so the availability of these live horrific images. So, for instance, many terrorists that killed civilians a week ago, they would take the phone of their victim, they would broadcast their murder live on their Facebook live pages, okay? So, for instance, you're a grandmother, you've got 600 friends or, I don't know, 400 friends on Facebook. That's a, that's a well-to-do grandmother. <laughs> they, they, they do say that the older generations enjoy Facebook more than the younger ones. <laughs> anyway, it, besides the point, the idea that they would have premeditated the idea of taking an iPhone, taking a, a phone and then live streaming the person's own murder. It's, it's, it's pure it's, terror. It's, it is terror, but, it, but so it's, 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 it's gaining the 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 objectives of the terror by the manipulation and the utility of the social media networks. Let's pull away from this quickly. I mean, this has been an incredibly hard situation and conflict to follow. Um, I feel that whatever news source you turn to, you get you know your certain bias. What should people be aware of when trying to follow this through mainstream news, online news, and perhaps if you have any suggestions as to how to get a realistic picture of what's actually happening over there? It's a very good question. We have to accept some facts about this conflict that are different to other conflicts. There is a disproportionate amount of focus on this conflict. It's very, very hard to explain if not does not have an explanation to it. Um, whether or not you be on the pro-Israel side or the pro-Palestinian side, um, the the polarization seems to be higher in this conflict than, than any other conflicts. It's been going on for a very, very long time. It predates the state. People have to understand that it predates 48 the modern Zionist movement have, was started occurring in in 1897 formally, but even before that, decades before that, once nation states were, evol- were, were, were were being created in the 19th century. I think we're talking about so the 18, early 1800s. 1800s, yeah. 100s, yeah. Um, so, um, Jewish self-determination in the form of a nation state is, is, is certainly not something new, and need I remind your your listeners that <laughs> nation state of the Jewish people existed in that space 3000 years ago, <clears throat> unless we want to go down to the denial of whether or not Jews have had a connection with their land. I guess I that, think let's skip that for now. Yeah. Well, if they just skip that and, and all of the, I, well, I don't know the historical archeology span and narratives and, and many other civilizations that are connected to the history of that land, uh, which cannot be erased even, whilst there is a very concerted effort to erase it. Um, it's not simple enough to say don't don't get into the weeds of it because it's too complex, even though it is very, very complex. It's very, very layered. It's very, very nuanced. Even the microcosm of Israel itself is not so simple to understand. Um, Israel has many layers. Israel has many different subsections, subcultures that 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 have different impacts and consequences to how the country behaves. Um, to It is too superficial 
to take such hardened positions on a subject matter that you know very, very little about. Okay, and so I always bring it back to sports analogies. So if you've got a sporting team that you're a devout supporter of, we all know that there are there are certain people that will have dominant views about your team or not your team, but really know nothing about it or know nothing about that sport. And that frustrates us because we're so engrossed in it. We know the detail. We know, you know, the fact is, is that everyone thinks that they've got an opinion on this. Whether or not that be someone in the street, someone around the water cooler at work, or someone or a journalist. The amount of times that a journalist will ask a question that's steeped in international law, whilst they won't ask legalistic questions on any other discipline of law. Yeah. It's like they've got a temporary law degree in international law, especially in international law, only during conflicts enraging the Palestinians in, in Israel, but they they will not do that and 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 ask questions in any other yep. type of disciplines either. So that's frustrating too, right? So um, so my advice is is that if people are interested, then be interested. Okay, so have an open mind. Um, and also the greatest way of of knowing whether or not something was true or was not is to go there. Okay, you cannot understand Israel without visiting. You want to have such strong settler colonial apartheid. Okay, go and have a look. If you think it's an apartheid country, go and have a look. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, one. I, I had a huge argument with um, a podcast that I supported and one of their hosts on Twitter because they're supposed to be an English Premier League uh, podcast and all of a sudden one of them is telling me that Israel's an apartheid state. And um, having an lived there state. for six months and having uh, extensively spent time with uh, Palestinians and Israeli Arabs I uh, who were at the same university with me in my class, I sort of – I don't even know why we're having the argument, but my bottom line was – I don't know what you've been reading online, but go there. So know? if you want, if 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 you actually want to engage on a subject where you think that it's appropriate to open your mouth about it and and spew words to other people, try to persuade them to think the way that you think. You should know about what you're talking about. Yeah. Now you will have many advocates on the other side over the past week who have failed to condemn Hamas. They will not say they will say I will condemn the atrocities. They will not say condemn and Hamas in the same sentence. Mm. That should be the first alarm bell to everyone going, hmm, so you burn babies, Hamas claim not only videotapes it, sends the images worldwide and claims responsibility for it, but Palestinian advocates in Australia can't use the word condemnation and Hamas in the same sentence. So okay? they're not actually condemning Hamas here, the Palestinian they're, 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 some, The majority of them cannot and have not, and that's well documented. Um, if you have a look at their interviews, yep. um, one specifically on Sky News the other night, one specifically on Channel 9. So we're not seeing condemnation of a terrorist You, you were seeing condemnation for the act. You are not seeing condemnation for Hamas. And there are direct questions. Will you condemn Hamas as, or will you call terror? Will you call Hamas a terror organization? And the majority of the leaders of the Palestinian movement here in Australia have failed in the past week to do that and call it out as to what it is. And that's terrorism. And I think that that's, Look, that's a that's a pill that 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 Jews know that they will and they will swallow. But I think that now, whilst Australians have seen the crimes, I don't think that that 
that Australia will buy that type of, of behaviour either. Let's just get down to brass tacks very briefly. So Hamas is, in fact, a prescribed terrorist organisation uh, under legislation here in Australia. Correct. And globally? Uh, it dep- in other countries it is. Uh, in, in the United States, Canada, the UK, um, the European Union, I believe, as well. Australia listed the, the organisation in its entirety, um, so it, it is, it is by, by law in Australia a terror organisation. So it's a, it is a bit kind of strange when we're talking about um, a country defending itself with its military and we're sort of hear a lot of equivalence uh, against the group that's attacking it but not as being a terrorist organisation but just a, being kind of like the you know, the look, armed resistance group or military of another sort of group and of people. And look, this is where the equivalence argument falls down, and there are many, many reasons as to why it falls down. But again, it's one of those, the equivalence argument, the proportionality argument, the apartheid argument, settler colonial, these are these are buzzwords. They have no grounding in, in, in intellectual or, 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 or any type of foundation, in fact. They're, they're just simple, simple buzzwords, right? So, the idea that you can have up on a screen uh, X amount of Israelis dead and X amount of Palestinians dead. So, the, the way that the, the numbers themselves only tell one part of the story, okay? So, you've had previous conflicts where you've had those numbers up, but how many of the Palestinians in previous conflicts were killed by errant rocket fire that fell that fell into Gaza, that were fired from Gaza, that fell into Gaza, hence were killed by their own people. Yeah. That should be part of the breakup. The amount of militants that have been killed versus civilians, that should be part of the division of the, the numbers, the which they're not. should also probably go with that. 100%. So, those that were killed in buildings where an evacuation order was provided, mm-hmm. a text message was provided, a flyer was provided, a knock on the roof. Israel developed a technology where it would place a projectile on the top of a roof, which would not create any damage, but would send a loud acoustic noise through a building, which would be the final warning that that building was going to be destroyed. That's okay? on top of the leaf. Technology that that's before. been used by other countries, by the way. Yeah. Again, Again, another way that they use their own ingenuity to save civilian lives whilst getting no credit from the international community for it. And why are the, why are victims in that building not separated or, or not categorized within the numbers? The numbers are deceiving. Even the numbers now, ladies and gentlemen, the numbers that you are seeing now of dead Palestinians will give one number. Where is that number coming from? Where's the number coming from? Every news outlet will say that this is the amount of Palestinians Hamas, I suppose. From the health ministry of Gaza, which is run by Hamas. Yeah. So, on the one hand, the world knows what they're capable of. They have started war with another country. They broke the border. They they went into another, another country yeah. and killed and maimed their citizens, right? Yeah. They killed and maimed them, yeah. right? And let's just say- uh, um, there were not leaflets dropped before that uh, paragliding invasion into that peaceful dance party or warnings about what was to happen next at the settlements, either or any of the breach locations. No, hundred percent. No, no, the, the rules. The rules apply to Israel. Israel has to, the, all these rules that Israel has to uh, apply, abide by, but Hamas obviously. A, it doesn't practically, and B, no one expects it to. Why? Because it's a bloody terror organization. This is what I'm saying. The, the, ex, the, 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 the bar is so low for Hamas, not only about its, its, its uh, relationship with other countries, but mostly about the way that it, 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 it 
it looks after, or actually, more importantly, does not look after its own people. So the bar is set so low for them because they are seen as a terror organization. They are not seen as a legitimate sovereign state actor. Now, bearing that in mind, how can we accept their figures? I don't understand. Why are we accepting figures from the terrorists? So would ISIS, so so would we put up, uh, you know, in our fight against ISIS in Syria, for instance, Mm. in Iraq, would we put up the amount of allied soldiers that have been killed or Iraqi civilians or Syrian civilians versus how many ISIS members and we would take the the amount of ISIS members from ISIS? (laughs) Like, why would we, why would we, why, this is, this is craziness. How many of those Palestinians that are in there were were terrorists? But so this brings me to my next question, which I think is an important one. Is Hamas the properly elected representative uh, government or jurisdiction of the Palestinian people? Well, it's hard to say. Well, I, the answer to that is obviously no. Um, they they were for a period of time, but their their uh, their mandate expired a long, long time ago. So those, those legislative elections were held... Well, how how long ago now? What, At least 2002, 10 years, I two, no, no, longer than that. They were held yeah. in what two thousand six. Yep. Took over then, then after the disengagement. Yeah, the after disengagement, yeah. and then uh, two thousand six, two thousand seven, and then six months later, um, they overthrew uh, Fatah and took over Gaza in its entirety. So there hasn't been an election since. So that mandate's expired. Yeah. So it's interesting because I think. A lot of people would probably think that Hamas is the elected official government uh, of the Palestinian people, but then you've got the West Bank, which is quite a different situation. Correct. So, look, it's important that listeners understand that Gaza and the West Bank haven't been different since disengagement. They've they've always had their differences, Um, different demographics, different problems, different issues. One was occupied by Jordan. Not that anyone on the other side would recognize that for 19 years. And then the other was occupied by Egypt for 19 years. So they have they have different. They are different, and they have been different for a long time. Um, but as you say, you've got an, you've got Fatah in control in in the West Bank, grossly unpopular amongst their own people. But then again, Hamas is also unpopular. There were huge protests in Gaza four or five weeks ago, six weeks ago against Hamas. Yeah. Um, the unfortunate thing is, again, and again, and again, the Palestinian people uh, are used and abused by their own leaders for their own leaders' short-term gains. The The real tragedy of this whole conflict, which needs to be said... In, in my view, is completely undeniable that the real cause and the real root of the unfortunate but undeniable um, difficulty of the Palestinian people not to be able to progress out of their victimhood trauma falls on their leadership's feet. Their leaders have consistently and historically made terrible decisions for their people. But I thought it was Israel's fault. <sighs> At the end of the day, you can always blame someone else, right? At the end of the day, you can always blame someone else for your hardship, blame someone else for your subjugation, whilst turning a blind eye to everyone else that does it. So, 
whilst you want to focus on the enemy, and that's the Zionists, what about the poor Palestinian refugees living in Lebanon who were denied the right to education, denied the right to certain um, jobs and professions, and have remained in the refugee camps since 1948? How have they not been integrated into Lebanese society? Yeah, you do not. How has there see... not been a resolution to the Palestinian refugee issue in Syria, for instance? Yeah. So again, thousands upon thousands of Palestinians were killed in the Syrian civil war. Um, arguably, more Palestinians were killed in those wars than the three preceding Gaza wars. But you wouldn't know that, nor would the Palestinian lobby in Australia care to let you know that either. I mean, Joel, just coming back to Gaza and, you know, the disengagement in 2005, the thinking then was that the right thing to do was to pull the Israeli people um, and military outside of Gaza back into Israel to hopefully enable the the people, the Gazans of the region to form whatever form of um, civil society and, you know, have the economic and social mobilisation required or wanted and to really have that self-determination for themselves, to elect their own government, to set up institutions. And, I mean, I think it's safe to say that since about 2005, when that, as soon as that happened until today, it's been non-stop rockets over the fence. Look, there was a lot of optimism in a way um, obviously a lot of concern as well, but it's, it's very, very important to note that Gaza has not been occupied since 2005. So Israel pulled out its soldiers, pulled out its settlers, even pulled out the dead from the ground. And there's been no soldiers in Gaza permanently, that is, apart from a few wars here and there since. And it's important to know that, yes, Gaza is blockaded, that blockade is enforced by two countries, Israel and Egypt. So the suffering of the the people of Gaza that's occurred since disengagement that we always hear, the blockade, the blockade, the blockade, the blockade is equally enforced by two nations, Israel and Egypt. So if you, as a pro-Palestinian advocate or or individual, which is fine, by the way, I too also believe strongly in Palestinian self-determination. I believe in so a you're Palestinian- for a two-state solution? 100% I am. I believe, as intellectually as I'm, I'm acutely aware that it is as elusive as ever, I recognize that. Um, I recognize that the conditions that are required- to ferment the trust that's required to get to that stage is very, very far off. But idealistically, absolutely, I still maintain that it's the best solution. An independent Palestinian state living in safe, secure borders, living side by side within Israel with safe, secure borders. End of claims. End of everything. Now, that's been offered on multiple occasions, and they've said no on multiple occasions. Because of the final status of Jerusalem? For, for lots of reasons, depending on the time that they were offered, for lots of different reasons, but ultimately they were wrong decisions to make. They should, the rejection time and time again, even before the state was established, right? This claim, this claim of settler colonial, settler, what is settler, settler colonial? It doesn't mean anything. Settler colonial, how can Jews be settlers in the land of Israel? I don't understand it. The, the, our written. History, our archaeological history, 
proves that our people have been there for thousands of years. Now, the Jewish Zionist narrative does not reject that there were other people living there as well. Yep. It's just crazy. It's ludicrous. It, like, you, you want to talk about in, indigeneity? The Bedouins have an awesome claim to indigeneity in that region, have been nomadic people wandering in that region for thousands upon thousands of years. That's okay. That can coexist with Zionism, right? The idea that it can only be one people and one people only, and that happens to be the Palestinians, and why they call the Palestinians, well, where do they get their name from? They get their name from uh, a, 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 a a name that was bestowed on the region by the Romans to erase the Jewish connection to it. And 2,000 years later, woke progressives, intersectionalists, have joined on to the pro-Palestinian cause and, and, and finally realized the Roman dream of attempting to eradicate the Jewish connection from the biblical land of Israel. Mm. They purposefully changed the name from Judea Right to Palestine to remove the Jewish connection. Yeah. Right. And 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 only up until now, until this this new dawn of this neo liberalism, this this crazy progressive ideology that that can claim something that is clearly not true and just peddle it and peddle it and peddle it until until people are sick and tired of hearing it. What do you make of the argument that? Uh- the reason that Hamas does what it does and uh, the resistance continues, supported by um, global hegemonic actors, is because uh, of Israel's treatment and the occupation of the Palestinian territories and the failure to reach a fair and just settlement with uh, Palestinian people. So, can I, can I paraphrase and simplify your question for your yeah. listeners? Um, so, am I allowed to kill your baby and, and, and rip off its head if you occupy me? Um, no. If you, if you, so, 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 if, if, if <laughs> I get, I've seen let, this. Let me re- so let, it's let, like, so is a serial killer justified in killing, in killing their victims hmm. because they had a bad childhood? Uh, look, I'm not trying to justify the hardships or, or explain or, 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 or celebrate the hardships of the Palestinian people. It's terrible, right? Yep. There is no doubt that a, that a Palestinian child has far less opportunity living in Gaza than one an Israeli child does. There is no doubt that a, that a Palestinian child living in the West Bank um, has a lot more concerns, well, different concerns of what a child does uh, in Israel. Now, I don't say and I don't suggest that that's entirely on Israel. Right, uh, there are there there are multiple reasons uh, for that child to have that lot. Um, th- there's no doubt that that there is that discrepancy, but you cannot. You ca- uh, Jamari's Lemire had grievances in 2002 when they blew up 88 innocent Australians. What what would happen after the Bali bombing? Someone came up to you and said, mm, you know what, like. You know, Jamari's Lemir said, you know, this, that, and that about, you know, how, you know, you were being disrespectful to Islam. It's kind of like, kind of, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, like, do you sort coming. of like get that? Like Al Qaeda, like, you know, there were like, you know, infidels on like religious land. So, you know, like the American hegemony was like subjugating people. So why can't we just hijack a couple of planes and kill three and a half thousand people, innocent people in a day? Like, 
you know, isn't that justified? No, it's not bloody justified. For crying out loud, it's not. Look, the world isn't full of peace. We do not live in utopia. We live in a place of conflict, unfortunately. There are conflicts simmering around the world. Israel and Palestine is not overly different in a lot of respects. In actual fact, not an overly lethal conflict compared to many other conflicts around the world, except that people seemingly obsessed by it, right? And because of that obsession... We have maintained the main reasons as to why we cannot get to the end game of a two-state solution. Yeah. The refugee problem. The perpetuation of the refugee problem, specifically with Palestinians, because they have their own status of refugee, which is for infinitum. So, you can be born as a third, fourth generation Australian, Canadian, American, someone with an EU passport. So, your parents were EU uh, citizens or Australian citizens or US citizens, and their grandparents were as well, but still for somehow get Palestinian refugee status at the same time. So you could have two Australian doctors, second generation Australian doctors or lawyers or what have you, engineers or whatnot, but be connected with the original refugee from 1948 mm. and still so have citizenship of another country. Not only, not I'm not talking about just resettlement. The resettlement happened decades ago, but still be added to a tally of Palestinian refugees. Yeah, let, let me just simplify the focus of my question. Do you think that Hamas, as the quasi-representative group of the Palestinian people for the purposes of what's happening at the moment and sort of generally, do you think that their main objective is to reach a peaceful state solution no, with no, Israel? No, absolutely not. Look, well, the question itself, I get asked the question a lot, and again, you're a mate, so I'm not going to have a go at you, but the question bothers me. And the question bothers me because it's abundantly clear as to what Hamas's intention is, okay? So, Hamas carried out this terror attack, yes? Yes. So, they went into southern Israel and they killed and maimed and massacred fourteen hundred up to 1,400 people, mm. right? That was their objective, right? Yeah. Is that an organization that wants, wants peace with its neighbors? Maybe if it does it enough, it'll get peace in one week. That's how that's how they think that they're going to achieve peace. Well, well my my memory that. to them is that it's not going to happen, and I don't know. I don't think that they think that. I think that they still believe, and the source of the power of their movement, the way that they get support, is by maintaining this silly mantra that at that at the end of the day just ruins the lives of Palestinians. This idea that they can and they will eradicate Israel. Yep. Okay, that is their mission. And it's in their mission statement. Go, go into the charter. The charter clearly states that Hamas wants to dismantle the Zionist state. It's very, very I clear had a bit of fun because I decided uh, last night to go on uh, chat GPT and ask it what I thought of uh, the charter. And probably about 70% of what you said is there, but I've read the charter. I know what's in it. It's just that Microsoft doesn't like saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, look, it's, not, it's not okay to say it. You can't. You, it's Stop trying to put lipstick on a pig, okay? Yep. Hamas is a terror organization. It's a terror organization. It's a terror organization. It's 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 its main and and primary goal is to to violently instill terror in the people it doesn't like. Okay, so there is this. Is it legitimate? Is it this? No, it's a terror organization, right? That happens to, by force, have taken over a certain large area uh, in the Palestinian territories that we as the international community and Israel to a certain extent have accepted. And now Israel, for one, will no longer accept it. Israel is no longer going to accept the fact that 
on its doorstep is a territory which is controlled by a terror organization that's hell-bent on its annihilation. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't understand why I get these questions as to why Israel is doing what it's doing. We in Australia have have the the beauty of of living on an island. But if you had Ham- would you want Hamas living on your doorstep? Probably not. If like, I could would choose, you, definitely not. Would you would you want want to live in in what in Wodonga and have Hamas in Albury? Like it's just not, not desirable. It's just it's something that when you question or when you when you when you get angry at, at a scene or you think that it's strong versus weak, it's not about that. It's not about that. It's about good versus evil. Yeah. Hamas is ISIS. Hamas is a terror organization. And if anyone says, well, what about this? Well, what about... What the junk are you talking about? They ripped the heads off babies. Okay? They they, they, they did the most disgusting... What are you, you talking... Well, well, this is what people do when you... No, it's not. Yeah. It's what you people do. Mm. Okay? No, it's not. It is not something that people and eat the, do 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 the Cypriots under Turkish occupation go out and massacre you know Turkish people. No, there are other occupations in the world, right? Israel is not the only occupying power in the world. These things do not happen everywhere else. They are not justifiable. Yeah. One thing that I am hearing a lot, and I think it comes up just because of where we're at conflict and everything aside, is. And I think you kind of answered it at the start when we talked about global anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism here as well. Why is Israel important as a historical and current home globally for the Jewish people? Um, a lot of the broader discussion is, well, there are Jews everywhere. Look at America. Look at Australia. You guys are fine. Why do you need Israel? We're an ethno-national religious people. Okay? We're different. We are entitled, like others, to self-determination. And the strongest and most appropriate manifestation of that self-determination is the realization of a nation-state in our biblical and ancestral homeland of of Israel. Now, that slither of land can be shared. That slither of land can still be shared, right? So, the existence of Israel as a nation-state is and I'll get to the importance of the Jewish people, but its existence itself should not be of a reason as to why something else kind of exists side by side for somebody else. So I think that our movement and the current position of Israel, whether people like to admit it or not, it's clearly still there. Israel hasn't annexed the West Bank. Israel never annexed Gaza. Well, it's so, disannexed Gaza. Huh? Yeah, disannexed Gaza. hundred well, yeah. percent. So, so the 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 opportunity for that idealistic realization of a two state solution is there. But for us as Jewish people, having the instruments of the nation state for a group and a minority such as ours spread out around the globe is also important. So we, as um, as a as a targeted minority, can can have you know the benefit of having support in in that way, um, and unfortunately, the scenes that we've seen on the streets of Sydney and in the streets of Melbourne and elsewhere in Australia, I think I I don't think I, I it's it would be hard to explain to my fellow Aussie that Jews are a little bit more targeted than than what they might be. That's so well said. I mean. When people ask me about Israel, I think they assume that I'm going to 
tell them that it's just this country full of hardcore religious right-wingers who just want to have a country and don't give a crap about anyone else. But what are some of your favourite facts demographically about Israel that people might not know? I mean, I'll give you mine, first of all, and that's that at least 20% plus of the population isn't Jewish um, in Israel, the, the Jewish democratic state. Another one would be that if you are a gay person, there is no better place in the world to be than Tel Aviv. Israel is a kaleidoscope of different things, but it is a free place for its citizens, for all of its citizens. So, you can, and it's such a small geographical area that you can really, if you wanted to, see lots of different places in one day. Um, you know, north to south is is six and a half to seven hours by car. Um it's very, very small, one-third the size of Tasmania. It's a tiny place. But you can drive to beautiful Druze communities in the north, followed by awesome Arab-Israeli communities of, of, of Muslims and Christians. It's beautiful landscape of, of the call to prayer and the mosques and the, and the smells. And Muslims in Israel, Israelis... Muslim citizens have access to Sharia courts, for instance, right? They have they have full freedom of religion that's protected and enshrined in in the basic laws of Israel, um, and they 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 feel that freedom. Um, in any poll that you will see asking the Arab Israeli community if they would like to live in a future Palestinian state once it's created, they will overwhelmingly say no that they would prefer to live under Israel. Um, now, that's not to say that there isn't discrimination. Of course, there's discrimination. Israel un- is, is not unlike any other country, even though many people expect it to be. But shock horror, it's not like Australia, like the United States, like any other country. It has its problems. Um, but for all intents and purposes, from a religious and cultural level, they're very free. And you come down south to, you know, further into the center of the country and you have the most secular of Mediterranean cosmopolitan life. It's no different to any other Mediterranean, Tel Aviv's no different to any other Mediterranean town. Amazing restaurants centrally located at the beach. Half of the city will be on the beach for, you know, on a, on a Saturday, you know, um, vibrancy uh, of culture, art, um, an explosion of, of Western um, culture in a Mediterranean sense, right? Um, and it's deeply entrenched in that 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 sea focused uh, Mediterranean style of cosmopolitan life. But then, forty five minutes towards the east, you're in Jerusalem. You know, a a, a religious center, a business center, but by population, Israel's biggest city. Um, but also a a, a, a a huge kaleidoscope of, of different cultures living side by side with each other. Arabs, with Jews, with, with Christians, with, uh, with different denominations of Christianity. It's a vibrant, beautiful mishmash of a space. And again, every, everything works, even though it shouldn't work, it works. There are problems, of course, and we recognize those problems, but as a country, it, it was progressing. It was getting, it was becoming open. 
Mansour Abbas from an Islamist party was in the last governing coalition in Israel, right? You've got to love that. So, 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 so much for your apartheid when you've got yeah. bloody Arab Israelis in the parliament, not only in the parliament, but are serving in the government with ministries for crying out loud. Like, it's just insane. Like, you have Arab, Arab, uh, uh, justices of the High Court who have uh, not only found a, a president of Israel, a Jewish president, guilty of a crime, but sentenced him as well. Um, in every single major sector of Israeli society, you have participation uh, with its Muslim population. Um, the idea that Israel is, is, is an apartheid, it's just, it, it's again, it's a catchword that ideologues will use to yell at people so they don't it's like a dog whistle to the past, isn't it? Uh, of course it is. Again, settler colonial settler. So they've adopted the word. So they've found out. Oh, right. Uh, 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 they've done some research, and the word settler. People don't like the word settler because settler used to be the word for someone who was in a in a settlement beyond the green line of Israel, mm. uh, living in a settlement in the West Bank or Gaza, for that matter. Not anymore since disengagement. And now they've gone. Well, we're just going to adopt that for all Israelis. Okay. Yeah. So they so they would call. The Palestinian lobby, those that died in southern Israel, okay, over the past week, they were called settlers. Now, that part of southern Israel that was invaded by Hamas was always a part of Israel. It was never never conquered, never expanded upon. In the 1947 partition plan, it was part of what was offered by the United Nations to Israel in 1947, okay? It's not contested territory. So, you say, oh, no, I I think Israel can exist within the 1967 lines. Well, that's within the 1967 lines. And they invaded that territory to kill us, right? And then they called those victims settlers. I think I don't don't listen to any of these lines arguments anymore. I think they're all Yeah, but the point is, is that Aussies- Yeah. Where people do not know a lot and they understand that it's complex and may want to know more but don't want to tread into it. If someone's just yelling at them, well, set the colonial and, and apartheid, set the colonial, they're like, well, we, we, what it is is just the adoption of the worst of the worst that society knows about and just project it onto the Jew. Well, I think it's an amalgamation of misunderstanding of global events that are not the same mishmash together like when we when you talk about apartheid or you talk about the settler um or colonization of australia these are things that resonate with people but are yes. not the same um but are easy to kind of analogize but it's because it's taking the worst yep. that society yep. interprets of that day and projecting it on the jew so i'll yep. give you a clear example to yep. the to the nazis right we weren't um we weren't white enough right we weren't Superior enough, we weren't Aryan enough, mm-hmm. okay? We weren't white enough. Yeah. And to the Nazis, we were a bunch of communists. Yeah. Okay, Karl Marx, right? They Bolsheviks. Used, right, exactly. Yep. So they used the so they used the fact that we were Marxists and commies and the fact that we weren't white enough to persecute us and kill kill us and, and usher us into the gas chambers. Then now we're getting attacked by certain sections of the left claiming that we're too white and we're Two capitalists, and now we're colonialists. Yeah, right. So any any ill of that, and now and, and and the apartheid. So all they're doing is they're finding the worst word, and they're just trying to make it stick, right? And and it's illogical. It's it's post factual, and 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 it should be called out. It needs to be called out. Settler colonial is nothing. It doesn't mean anything, right? How can I, as a Jew, colonize my own land? Yeah, a land that was legally given to us under under uh, the, the under the United Nations General Assembly vote in 1947. Yeah, 
right? Like other countries are created. Again, why is Israel's status and legitimacy of as a nation, as a sovereign nation state, different from every other nation state that was born and created in the same way? And it, why Again, it, a double standard to the Jew. Maybe settler colonial. Oh, question, wow, look at you. Another question might be why is uh, this? Why is Israel the subject of the vast majority uh, amongst two hundred UN members or whatever of votes in the General Assembly and Security Council all the time? This it's tiny sliver of land. We don't need to get into that. That's just a parting thought. <laughs> they call that a non sequitur uh, comment rather than a question. You get to rub your lamp and uh, you get to make a wish of the listeners to this podcast today as to what they would do, maybe how they'll receive their information and news or what they might do to make the world a, a slightly better place, given what you've said. Um, how can the listeners today be better friends, understanders, supporters um, of, of the Middle East, of the Jewish people, of Israelis, of Palestinians, and what would you have them do? Israelis and Palestinians share one thing. They both feel like victims. And in a large way, both of them are victims. Victims of their situation, victims of their history, victims of their of where they live and who they live with, of the leaders, who their neighbours are. So... In times like this, so I guess if if I could end on this, as firstly an apology to 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 Aussies for having to see and witness some of the things that happened over the past week, um, because it's news and it was put in the news, um, but it's very very hard for a lot of people to see. But importantly, it's it's hard for people to to see what people what others are capable of. Okay. It's hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that other human beings could be capable of, of, of such violence. Unfortunately for us Jews, we, we knew what they were capable of. Okay. And we knew. So, my message would be twofold. Firstly, it's a message of hope. It's a message that once the violence ends, that... Hamas will be out of Gaza and the Palestinians of Gaza can have another opportunity with a different leadership maybe that focuses more on its own development than 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 violence against others. Hamas just released a video a couple of days ago. <laughs> Very well produced. They've got great videographers and editors and directors, but uh, it's proudly showing them cutting up water pipes and utilizing the water pipes to create rockets. Okay, now hold on a second. Let's just pause for a second. So, these guys proudly get the best directors and videographers to film them digging up water pipes for the people that are used for the people to create weapons to fire at Israeli civilians. And then they advertise it and beam it out as though they're proud about that. So, I have hope that and I wouldn't call it a silver lining from this because I don't think there can be any, but one potential positive consequence from all of this bloodshed and violence is that Hamas is eradicated out of Gaza and the people of Gaza can breathe a sigh of relief with not having 
the savages as their leaders. The second thing is, is that if you have a Jewish friend or an Israeli friend, they need you right now. They need you to hold their hand, give them a pat on the back, a bit of a hug, see how they're doing. Because the trauma and the nightmare that they're living right now is real. They didn't deserve it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't start it. But they will end it. Well said, my friend. How can people connect with you, follow you and your work, um, and learn more about the wonderful things you're doing? So you can jump on the AJAC socials on all the major platforms and also on our website at ajac.org.au. Um, if you'd like to find out more, reach out, contact, and uh, let's build those relationships. Can they connect with the great man himself? Absolutely. If so, sure. how? Just LinkedIn uh, the easiest? LinkedIn is perfect. Yeah, you yeah. love LinkedIn. Yeah, love LinkedIn. It's great. That's great. Fantastic and they can book platform. you for DJ 10 p.m. events there as well. <laughs> as long as the, the as long as I do not DJ past 10 p.m., okay? Well, that's implicit <laughs> from the name. Uh, and as your manager, I thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for listening. Maybe before we end, is there a source where people can go for news that you'd recommend or a place where they can learn a bit more maybe about the situation? The uninformed. Look, there's, there's for those that want news, a variety of news outlets is a good idea. Um, and trying to pick one from a country with an open press maybe is a good place to start. Yeah. So um, those that so the Israeli press is very free and open. Um, it's not super supportive of certain governments. So I look the best English speaking website that I go to for Israel news is the times of Israel.com uh, times of Israel.com. Yep. Um, it's very, very good. Um, and, uh, it's, it, so it, you have to read multiple sources, but just again, try to steer clear from new sources where the country that they're emanating from does not have a free press. I think that's a point taken and well noted. Okay. <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Joel. <laughs> Mate, thanks for being here again. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for letting me come to your house. I appreciate yes. it. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.